0: to the corkboard, where things are happening. The corkboard, where your feet's a tapping and having a good time submitting to the corkboard. Events at ID10T.com. Events at ID10T.com. I should end that on a major seventh. Dot com. That's probably not a major seventh, but it's, a, it's that really nice court. I've already ruined the bit. You know what? Next time, have better musical training. That's what I've learned from this impromptu skit. Um, but let's go to the corkboard. Kids Land is a mom and pop and uh, baby store in Los Angeles. And we're celebrating our 32nd year on February 7th, 2019. The event is curated for new and expected parents uh, to learn from baby experts and brand representatives. And just for fun, we hold a huge raffle for everyone who attends the event. Tickets can be purchased through our website, kidslandusa.com. And if they use the code ID10T, we will offer 50% off their ticket. (laughs) Oh, look at you, Kidsland, throwing an offer code in there. Nice. I like it. Uh, Also, Dave wrote, I wrote a time travel novel called The Glove. And it's up on Amazon in paperback or digital form. Available to purchase now. On demand. On demand to read The Glove now. Uh, It's been a long time coming. I've always wanted to add a story to the time travel genre. Uh, Here is the blurb for the book. After Ben Stanley's son is born, he suddenly finds himself on a time-traveling journey from his own past. For a man whose life hasn't turned out the way he thought it would, Ben now has the chance to change everything for the better. Will Ben be corrupted by this newfound power, or will he use it for good? This mind-bending journey through the best and worst of times of his life will force him to reevaluate what's important and ultimately what makes him happy. The glove on Amazon. Nice job, Dave. I'm very proud of you that you wrote a thing, that you wrote a glove. And uh, now people can go get it again. Events at ID10T.com. Um, this episode is Mr. Seth Green, whom I have known, I think... Maybe since we were teenagers, but if not, real, real, real close. Since the 1900s. Since the early to mid-90s. And uh, I, I don't know what to say other than I love him. I love the shit out of him. Seth is just... He's just likable and talented and industrious, and he makes a lot of cool stuff. And he just is kind of like – he's carved out his own path as a creator while also carving out his own path as an actor. Uh, and now he's adding directing to that. He's got a movie that he directed called Changeland, uh, which is not out yet, but we do talk about it quite a bit. I saw it, and it's great. And uh, when it does come out, you should see it. I don't know when that is yet, but when it does, uh, you should – he doesn't know that either. I'm not – I'm not being an irresponsible host. Uh, we There really is no information on that yet, but it's great, and you should see Changeland when it comes out. And I uh, just love this guy so much. Uh, so, thank you, Seth Green, for coming on the ID10T podcast, which was brought to you by squarespace.com. Let's talk a little bit about some things you can do with Squarespace. You can turn your ID into a new website, you can showcase your work, you can publish a blog. Uh, you can promote your physical or online business, announce an upcoming or special event project or more. And they're going to do this by giving you beautiful templates c- created by world-class designers. Powerful e-commerce functionality. that lets you sell anything online. You can customize it. Get everything you need for mobile right out of the box. You can buy domains. Choose from over 200 extensions. Analytics are going to help you grow in real time. 24-7 award-winning customer support. Nothing to patch or upgrade ever. So make it yourself. Easily create a website by yourself make it stand out. Stand out with a beautiful website. Uh, Check out squarespace.com slash ID10T for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, So thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast, which is Mr. Seth Green coming at your face via your ears. Via your ears. Still not the major seventh. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it.
1: Initiating ID10T protocol.
0: Seth Green's in the kitchen talking to my wife. Seth Green's in the kitchen and he's talking to my wife because my wife made juice out of stalks of celery. My wife made me drink a glass full of celery. She says it's good for me. She told me it's good. Is it good?
1: Oh, have you looked through it yet? Yeah, it's amazing. Kind of awesome,
0: man. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about the Dungeons & Dragons Art and Arcana visual history book, which oh, is... Oh,
1: Maganello reached out to me about uh, all of the uh, Frazetta stuff that they're doing. Yeah. Have you seen all that?
0: Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a thing this week, I think. Yeah, he's got like... It's like a three-day pop-up or something like that. That is fantastic! Yeah. You know, Seth, that just dovetails nicely into the first thing that I wanted to ask about, which is we're not crazy, right? Because we... You of all people understand the uh someone who has a bunch of toys in his own house and is trying to figure out how to build a water park in his backyard <laughs> and a putt-putt course you we're we're not wrong, right? Like well, like unless, being being frozen in our youth, that's okay.
1: Well, I don't I wouldn't say that I'm frozen in my youth because I don't um issue responsibility and um I don't uh, shy away from doing um typically adult things. I just think that I've retained some of my youthful enthusiasm good answer. Um, and I don't feel like being passionate about my interests is uh, a negative.
0: Good. Oh, thank God. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. I good. mean,
1: obviously there's, there's boundaries to it, you know, and, and the older I get, the more I've tried to streamline different collections so that I don't feel overwhelmed in my home by stuff. Right. Know? Um, but there are different totems and different iconography that I like to see, uh, because I find them inspiring, or I find them encouraging, or I find them to be re- reminders of a a place when I was inspired
0: or encouraged. Someone's just someone's basically just frozen that quote, <laughs> and they've put it on a thing, and it's going to get posted on Reddit somewhere about this is this is why I collect stuff, <laughs> and it's okay. Yeah, be okay with you because you also you as like I did we're fortunate enough to marry someone who understands and yeah. <laughs> also engages in the similar types of um passionate fandom.
1: Yeah, well she she argued the same thing that before we met she didn't realize that she could have a boyfriend uh, that would let her play video games and be in interested in
0: in her success or right. Or anything like that. Yeah, because she and I are from the same town. Yeah, Memphis. And I'm sure I know there's nerds in Memphis because I knew I think all of them when I was growing up. So that was just a few. But uh, but uh, you know, it was a different time. It was a different time back then yeah. when we were growing up. Things are different now. We're lucky enough to have lived through a kind of revolution where
1: um, all of the pop that we were in love with as kids has become. Um, financially successful, where all of these more fringe genre things have become like global pop sensations. And mm-hmm. so it's almost as if our interests have been validated. Every every punch in the face I took for loving Spider-Man has now been <laughs> proven worthwhile because the path for my children will be much easier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to be into that stuff, though. They'll be into... Sports, sports, something. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. Like someday when we have kids, I know I'm gonna have to go to like a sports game. Well, I yeah. do, I do wonder about that.
1: Like being born into a world where Star Wars always existed, and there's so many ways to live the experience. You know, now that that Disney is building um, a theme park environment where you can have your own cantina shootout experience, like what is that going to do to the way? A kid is introduced to those concepts like for me star wars even though it was a global phenomenon um the the 20 years after um uh, return of the jedi came out before there was new star wars there was just this this barren space where the the only thing you had was your memory and how long you could retain your excitement for it and then the reason i think it felt so personal is because it wasn't everybody on the planet that loved star wars in those 20 plus years it was just the people who loved it so much that they were like, oh, do you remember this specific moment? Right. And now that it has become this this much larger thing, which is being added to every day in all these other media outlets, whether it's animation or TV shows or more movies or side movies that are based on a single line from one of the original movies, right. it's, it's a completely different world. And so I wonder what that's going to look like to a kid. You know?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess – because. Obviously everyone knew the movie when it came out. It was one of the biggest films in history, but that's different than diving deep into the fandom. It's not like it's not like the if the Godfather fans have been like, "Did you see the one where Corleone drops the guy in the th-? it's like in the pit of in the Sarlacc pit." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it, there's that there is that kind of fandom but but there was so there was such a, a, a ripe universe to play in that yeah. went so much farther and broader and deeper than just going oh that this movie changed film and it changed the way entertainment is done. The, so uh, yes, well, Star Wars also, has always been popular, but but not like that.
1: Yeah. Well, and also a, a story about Lando as a teenager is going to be far more interesting than the the side saga about the one guy who was who shot Joe Pesci and. In uh, Goodfellas,
0: who's the who's the equivalent of like? I bet he was nine, in the street no. racing. In, uh, <laughs> in Goodfellas, it's just like oh, I right. wanted this really obscure character, and I just want to I want to learn all I can about him and get his action. Like, figures. when
1: are we gonna get the Johnny Two Times side story?
0: <laughs> You're gonna get it twice. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you my story. Tell you my story.
1: That'd be terrible.
0: Yeah, the Goodfell. I'm sure now there are probably Goodfellas action figures because pop culture <laughs> is like pop culture is so d- a. a um, not a satire, but pop culture is a, a pop culture celebration of itself now, yeah. as opposed to the things that it's actually making. I mean, like I love that I have Golden Girl Funko pop, Funkos, Me too. but uh, or there are Golden Girls Clue right. uh, game, <laughs> but pop, but pop culture is just like collapsing on itself, and I'm mm-hmm. you know like in twenty years, are, are the things that are being made now going to feel nostalgic in the same way or is everyone just sort of take it all for granted because it's not like entertainment isn't really precious anymore because there's just so much of it but i
1: do think there's something to be said for the things that 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 got to you when you were young you know like i'm i'm noticing a lot of kids in their 20s now reflective of 90s culture the same way that we were reflective of 80s culture and if you really look back our parents were reflective of 60s and 70s Absolutely. culture. So I think but that's But not just, to this degree. But I don't think manufacturing was available to this degree. Like, we've, we've got so many different outlets that just didn't exist. We've got so many points of access that didn't exist. Like, I, I don't know. There's MASH action figures. There's Love Boat action figures. So we were definitely doing that. It just didn't it didn't have the same respectability? Community. It's
0: all about community. The communities now, the internet has given people like clubhouses, basically just digital clubhouses to connect with one another and strengthen the numbers. Like we didn't know. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of people, you know, who were just as obsessed with nine nub as anyone else. (laughs) Right. Like, but you couldn't really connect to those people if they didn't live in your town, if they didn't go to your particular hobby shop or whatever. So now it's just, All of these people can find each other and, you know, and have strength in numbers. And I
1: think that's encouraging. Like, I think what made me and many other kids who were so interested in all that stuff feel so alone was that lack of connection, that lack of community that you had to drive all the way to San Diego once a year to meet other people who knew the same volume of things that you did. And it was before the concept of San Diego Comic-Con became so popular that it attracted people who weren't even as passionately interested in the stuff
0: what was it were you on the podcast like five years ago or something was it a crazy long time ago the last time i did your podcast yeah. it was a long time it ago it was a really long time ago. <laughs> it doesn't
1: seem like it because we see each other in real life all the time <laughs> <laughs>
0: did you, so we just sort of have these
1: conversations anyway <laughs> did
0: you tell the story the, was that when you told me the story of the pizza commercials that you did and maybe you did tell that on the podcast what was the commercial? The like, burger commercial? The, the cha-ch- bur- cha-ching? The cha-ching, cha-ching guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was that, <laughs> did you tell that story on the podcast? Probably.
1: I did uh, Dax Shepard's podcast. And since we worked together in 2002 and he found out that that was a thing, he's become obsessed with that whole concept. Just the same way that I was – that I thought it was insane. I had been working for 15 years as a successful actor before I got that commercial, which made me more famous in some regions than any of the on-camera work that I had done. Uh, yeah. And it completely Combined. negated anyone's awareness of me as a performer. I When I went to New Orleans to lead the crowd at the Superdome in a cha-ching cheer, yeah. I was a series regular on an ABC show with Terry Garr from the people that made Soap. Yeah. And... Nobody knew anything about that. <laughs> but to this, them, I was just the Ching guy. But
0: isn't that that <laughs> like you've lived a very specific experience of fame versus success? Right, and you have been a successful actor since you could walk, and that fame thing was just a different thing. It really and so was. How do you you know? it's sort of looking at like how you define fame versus success is one necessarily better than the other. or Can they work together? Well, I, or just, not, I just... love
1: pop in general and I really do love people. Um, and so these kinds of things that happen where people all collect around an idea that is totally separate from any of your individual achievement. Like <laughs> I, I looked at it as a way that I got to play the Beatles without having to permanently be the Beatles. Right. So right. I could go to new Orleans and be the cha-ching guy where I literally couldn't walk down the street without armed police officers <laughs> protecting me from this fevered crowd that just wanted to touch the cha-ching guy like a, say it like a sacred
0: Bible being passed down the aisles. It was really... You were the Ark. When when they when they revealed you at the stadium, right. everyone's face melted. Yeah. Right? You were the Ark of the Covenant.
1: Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I had seen enough people become... Catastrophically famous in real life, that I could appreciate that this type of fame I was enjoying in that moment was completely impersonal. It was, it had nothing to do with me at all. It was a fever around an idea. And to that end, I was able to be this, this, um, uh, you know, totem, for lack of a better word, for everyone to put their shared excitement and like people just get excited about sports because we as human beings need to commune around stuff and that's a a high point of energy you get to play out a lot of emotional um, roller coasters by watching sports and so the cha-ching concept just it just sort of piggybacked on to fans enthusiasm for sports and communion in general, they all wanted something to chant together, right? So that's that's the way that they were able to express it. But it had nothing to do with me. People even said to me in New Orleans, hey, you think uh, you might stick with this acting thing? I was like, <laughs> I, uh, I do. I, <laughs> I, feel I think like I will. Yeah. I feel like it's working out. Like I'd already made Eight movies at that point, and like, <laughs> several. What pilots. year was
0: that? What year was that? What jiu-jitsu? year was
1: that? I had just turned eighteen, so that had to be like uh ninety-two, maybe.
0: Oh, was that? Oh, was that early on? Yeah, and you had already made that. Jesus Christ,
1: yeah. this is very funny. And I'd already s- moved out to LA full time. I'd already done radio days and it, and uh I'd done a. a, a <laughs> good amount of work by then and literally no one
0: had any idea who the
1: fuck i was And they still, were like
0: you're yeah, that cha-ching guy and i was like yep cha-ching and still even after that <laughs> it's just like thinking about how many things you've worked at. actually
1: i wasn't even 18 i was 17 because i turned uh, 18 the year after that when i did airborne and found out that the, ch- ch- the cha-ching guy was very popular in cincinnati where we shot but that there'd been a rumor that the cha-ching guy Got you know, got so much money from doing those commercials that he bought some fancy car and drove off a of Mulholland. And I was like <laughs> Oh what my god, I'm so sorry what to hear that? about you know, that. That yeah, was really tragic. I'm sorry you died. The poor Cha Ching guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in a way it's kind of funny that like the Cha Ching guy really just the Chiching guy just gets to go off in a blaze of glory. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, he's like full Bon Jovi. But that he's his own guns. entity. Yeah. And that you didn't have to like the lore around him, sort right? Of like took if care Clara Peller
1: had tried to move on from where's you the you mean beef the where's the beef lady? Yeah, yes, to to being uh, in uh, you know the first Wives Club or whatever, <laughs> it just it wouldn't have translated as well. Like if you saw the where's the beef lady show up on Golden Girls, she would always be the where's the beef lady. But I had inexplicably been able to dodge that, and just a few short years later, was a series regular on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and. Starring next to John Malkovich in Knockaround Guys, I
0: think. I think a lot. <laughs> Nobody of that, knew that was I the think A lot of that person. has to do with the fact that you had worked a ton before, and also, um, you know, I mean, it. If you had, if you had done the Cha-Ching commercials for <laughs> years, then yeah. that that might have been one thing. But it was no. feel it was just like such a slice of time that yeah. it, that it happened, and also, you know, like if. If Clara Peller had all, had been accepted, a bunch of "Where's the beef" stuff, like if she turned up on Golden Girls, right, saying "Where's the know, beef," you know, like a guy came out in a towel after Blanche coming out of Blanche's bedroom, and she's like, "Where's the beef?" and everyone <laughs> fucking laughed. <laughs> then you know, it's like then she was she would be cementing herself as that yeah. more, like making those choices. But that's sort of the trade-off of like, well, what do you want? Do you want? You know, quick fame and quick money. Do you want longevity? If you want longevity, you kind of have to think a little more – you would have to think a little bit differently about the types of choices that you want to make. Some of
1: it's also attitude. I'll never forget when uh, Travolta did Pulp Fiction and then hosted SNL and he came out and in his monologue – Made reference to Saturday Night Fever and Look Who's Talking and like all of the sketches that he did on the show. He did a Welcome Back Cotter sketch and he just wasn't shy about acknowledging any of the things that anybody would love him for. In fact, he seemed really able to appreciate the fact that people – Loved him for all of those things And so he was willing to say Yes I am all of these things And that's why you love me And so instead of being embarrassed And saying I'm not that I'm nominated for an Oscar now And I'm, I'm serious because I'm not the, the, the welcome back Cotter guy Instead he was generously acknowledging of the audience's love for him No matter where it came yeah, from Yeah because I think people and forget I thought that
0: was a really good Well people forget he went through a bit of a dip mm-hmm. In between Look Who's Talking and uh, Fiction. Pulp Fiction yeah. And it was almost uh, – I almost feel like it was a little tongue-in-cheek that he was hired mm-hmm. in Pulp Fiction. Like, oh, it's Travolta. And then he's fucking amazing in it. And everyone's like, oh, wait a minute. And the Ooh, yeah. He's an, amaz- he's an amazing actor. That's, you know, yeah. that's right. Oh, yeah. John Travolta's a movie star, isn't he? What is the oh, – <laughs> would you please tell the story about the cheeseburger in oh, Travolta?
1: Triple- this, this is just – because he's the nicest guy. He's, uh, we're, we're on um, a set of old dogs. And uh, I had a couple of scenes with John, um, but all my scenes were with John and Robin Williams. And so we had one day where the beginning of the scene is me and John, and then Robin doesn't come in until later. And so the whole morning, we're just there by ourselves uh, doing a scene together, which he was so cool and excited. He was like, I just think we should do some improv together. I'm like, whatever you want, John, I'm down for this. And um, he said, listen, when when robin shows up no matter what time it is i'm going to look at you and we'll pretend like we're in the middle of some really great joke okay and we'll just <laughs> laugh together and laugh and then we'll say oh robin you, you 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 missed you missed the whole morning it was so much fun i'm like okay this is a funny prank i'm totally with you so we do we're waiting and then uh, and then robin comes to work and, uh, and John looks at me like, oh, that now. And he just starts laughing really big. And I laugh really big. And Robin walks up to us and I go, oh, Robin, you should have been here. John just made the funniest joke. We've been having such a great time all morning. And John cannot hold this gag for even a second. He goes, I, I told him to say that, Robin. We, we, were, <laughs> <laughs> we were just, I just I always feel left out of your joke. I just really wanted a moment myself. No, oh, that's so but sweet. But I, I, I love you. I can't make you feel bad. And I was like, you, you're... This guy, he's just adorable. But while we were. How did Robin take that, by the way? He just looked at, like, oh, okay. All right,
0: so should I. <laughs> so you want me I'm to. Here. We're going to. Sounds great. Okay. Whatever you
1: guys are doing. Okay. <laughs> and then, um, but earlier in the day, John told me the story about making. I can't remember what it was. He made a movie with Robert Duvall. And Phenomenon? He, oh, it must have been, right? So he's talking about Robert Duvall, who he just calls Bobby. Um, And he's like, you know, Bobby Duvall. He he likes to cook as well. And I go, are you are you a cook? And he goes, well, I like to eat, so so I I have to learn to cook. (laughs) And uh, and he said, you know, if you had if you had to pick a favorite food, if you would you like what do you like? And I go, I love food. I love uh, all kinds of things. I love uh, pasta. I love pizzas. I love hamburgers. And he goes, what's your favorite kind of hamburger? And I said, oh man, well I'm I'm kind of a purist. I just love a really well cooked normal burger, and I I'm, I'm usually just put cheese on it, but I don't like any garnish. And he's like, I don't like any garnish. No lettuce, no tomato, no no ketchup, no mayo. I was like, yeah, that's pretty great. And he goes, what kind of bread? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll take a good bun. I, I like A Hawaiian bun is good. <laughs> um, and he goes, have you ever had a burger on an English muffin? And I was like, ooh, I haven't, but I love English muffins. He goes, I can, you know what? Hey, Sam, can you give me for a second? So wait, would you make sure... And he just starts instructing someone to get a burger made for a me. Well, because there's a chef. He has a chef that uh, cooks him lunch and stuff. And so he told this assistant to tell the chef to make me a burger. And I laughed about it because I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then t- 20 minutes later, a burger is delivered to me in my trailer. And it is on an English muffin, <laughs> perfectly cooked. I don't even remember if, it, remember if it had cheese, but I am like eating this burger. And it's so good that I almost can't take it and my door and my trailer is open and Kelly Preston walks by and she goes you got it and I go this is amazing and she goes pretty good huh and I go but I love more than anything that he was like I need a burger for Seth Green and in 20 minutes there's a hamburger in my hands and she just sort of shrugs her shoulders and says well he's John Travolta <laughs> and I thought yeah that's He's that's a really, wizard. That's really true. He's a wizard. It's really true. He's the type of guy who can just snap his fingers and you've got the best hamburger you've ever eaten. But a, but like a nice guy.
0: Yeah, he's the best.
1: I fucking love that guy.
0: That's so, yeah. <laughs> That's so sweet. But yeah. you you know, the thing that one of the things that I admire most about you, not besides your work ethic, which is unbelievable. Oh, this this from the guy who literally works all day. You know what though? But there's something about your general demeanor and attitude and outlook is so positive and so like eh whatever happens ha- like you seem to have the best of both worlds like you have some of the workaholic gene but you don't seem to be a prisoner of it in mm. the way like that that it doesn't seem to unless you're really good at hiding it that it doesn't seem to affect your demeanor like if someone met you they go what a laid back guy yeah. like what a like so how do you how are you able to focus so much and still have such a great general attitude and be such a kind of a laid-back, affable... I'm sure some of it is just the time in which you see me because I
1: definitely have my bad moments. I just try to keep them private. You oh, know? gotcha. Well, I, I remember um, in the early 90s seeing like a series of pictures of Tom Cruise and every picture of him was just like huge smile and having a great time. And I, I said to a friend of mine, Man, every time you see Tom Cruise, he is just smiling. He goes, what the fuck does he have to frown about? And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I guess, I guess you're right. What does he have to frown about? But it is that, that general philosophy of, you know, if you are mo- – most people don't become actors because they want to be leaders or instructors or that they, they even intend to be an example. They just like to perform, you know, or, or some people want to be famous, which is a whole different category. But – for me, I just love acting. I have learned over the years that all of these things come hand in hand with being successful, which is being able to manage your own mood, being able to not take things personally and not get too defeated. And I've, and I've been saying a fair amount lately that I am just as susceptible to the Crippling insecurities and self-doubt and like depth of depression that anyone who has any kind of success can experience but I don't um, I do my best to recognize that those mo- those moments are not uh, permanent and that they shouldn't be my definition and that the, the trick the magic trick is always being able to go out on stage and you know convince the audience of something uh, that, that, that magic exists uh, even if you yourself are are weeping backstage just before you step onto the stage, right? You know, so as far as an attitude goes, um, I've been on so many sets, and it just you're never rewarded for making it about you. <laughs> you never there is no there is no upside to um, it, no one is ever impressed when you stomp your foot or scream like a child. Like you 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 never convince anyone through brute force. Right. Um, I mean, you can force your way through stuff but no one's gonna like you right and you may get this one job but you won't be hired again right you know people really only work with people that they want to work with mm-hmm. e- even if there is some kind of huge benefit to collaborating with you people rarely collaborate with assholes more than once right yeah and i, I that, that's for me so from a longevity standpoint i i 've seen so many people do this right and wrong and i and I just try to be self aware enough to to do it right
0: because as long as you know your career has pretty much spanned your life no. and you 've you know you 've seen a lot of people come and go you 've worked with a lot of people you 've yeah. seen you i 'm sure you grew up with a lot of people that just that maybe didn 't make the jump to adult performer a lot of people quit a lot of, a lot people, of people die quit. yeah a lot yep. of people rage quit you yep. know like it's just been a lot of <laughs> yeah. there's there's been a lot and so there really is something to like that is is such a feat in and of itself to just be able to keep your head down and 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 stay in the game and and still work on great stuff and then yeah. also be a creator. And you know now as you venture into to film directing too. I mean it's just it, it, are, is there anything else that's kind of kept your head in the game during all those periods where you saw like your you know like where you saw firsthand front row seat of people falling out for various reasons?
1: Just um my passion for performing has always driven me that's it 's the fact that whenever I go too long a period of time without acting, that I am just ter- just t- terribly unhappy so <laughs> you know um, knowing that my goal is to uh, stay employed as a performer um, i then I then try to stack the deck in my favor in any way that i can i try i, I know That to um, maintain any level of success, it requires a a constant evolution, a constant self-reflection, and, um, you know, an honest looking at the landscape. And, I mean, I can shrug my shoulders the same as that, throw up my hands and say, well, why am I not this or that? But the truth is there's always something either beyond your control or something that you're not doing that's, that's, that's keeping you from whatever your goals are. And so, so I try not to get in my own way or any
0: of that. Because in, in the movie that you made, Changeland, which, by the way, when the fuck did you go to Thailand <laughs> to shoot a movie? Uh, I feel like I remember there was a period where you yeah. were traveling a lot. Yeah. But
1: – but- I, I spent three months in Thailand on my prep on the shoot and on the wrap down. Um, we went uh, – it was the summer of 17. And then I, I spent um, – a good amount of time editing and finishing it.
0: I mean, I guess I remember I I mean I do have memories of you going off but I also maybe it's just cuz time moves so fast. Yeah. Like when I saw the movie cuz the the movie's like a real like it's epically shot. Like oh, you're in real you're like in. Th- you know when I when I when it opened, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if they just shot some exteriors in Thailand." Like, right. no, it's in Thailand. Like, you're part in Thailand. The,
1: yeah, part of the reason why I wanted to make the movie was I I took a trip to Thailand with a friend of mine, and everything that we did was so magical. It was an extraordinary um, vacation, but everywhere we went, funny things happened. It was um, in 2009, and so. Obama had just been elected and the whole world really thought that the US was very progressive and they knew that that like gay culture was on the rise and that you know it was it was going to be legally okay for gay people to get married and so when my male friend and I showed up in Thailand and went to all these places that are typically reserved for honeymooners everyone just treated us like we were a couple and like beautiful roses all over our beds and like candlelit dinners being prepared for us and my buddy and I just laughed that we should we almost owe it to these people to fuck tonight. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> everybody's putting they so much effort. The conditions in. are very positive for that. I mean, yeah. it's a nice, they put pet
1: rose petals on the bed. Yeah. It's very lovely. Well, so when I was there on that trip, um, everything that happened to us felt cinematic. And I just started making notes because I thought, oh, this is a really funny story to tell. This is a very beautiful backdrop for some kind of emotional development. And I didn't have any of the um, uh, story. Uh, that's in the movie, I simply had a series of set pieces that I knew would be um, incredible to photograph. And I really thought, well, if I can make a compelling narrative around all of this visual, this would be um, a, a kind of cinematic vacation for the audience and be a way that people get to explore something that I'd, I was lucky enough to see first person, but with an emotional um, through line that would
0: keep them engaged. The only thing about the movie that made me uncomfortable was watching your best friend flirt with your wife. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Everybody, I mean, your best friend in real life flirt with your, with Claire. Your I know that wife. everybody's going to have an issue with
1: that. And it's just <laughs> some, some of it is that, um, you know, when Claire and I first met and we were just friends, we had very honest conversations about acting in love scenes with other people and how impersonal that whole experience is, but how you'll work with people who can make it personal or who d- don't understand that it's just a performance and, can't separate that or or their process to feel those emotions is to actually feel those emotions and she and i neither of us feel that way we're both incredibly professional about those scenes and and while we're like you know wholly committed in the moment after the fact we're not really trying to hook up with no of course that well so so knowing that as a real thing about her gave me some uh, comfort in casting her in that role, which I wrote for her because there's nobody who's gonna play that role better than she's
0: great in it. Is she
1: great in that? Um well so and then because because brecken there's no there's no co-star I'd rather have them than Brecken. Um I also know Brecken in real life and There were a lot of things about this. So one, I knew Brecken and Claire really actually love each other in real life. Yeah. Like they're actually like good friends and wouldn't do anything to hurt each other, wouldn't do anything to hurt me. Neither one of them are feeling those feels. Yeah. Um, but it was very funny when we were shooting their makeout scene. I made them. I just didn't call cut for a minute. Just, and I had told. I said like, hey, listen, guys, when you start, when you start the, when you start the kiss, you're gonna have to turn because I've got this great thing with a light. And if you, if you just sort of lean onto your left foot, we're gonna get this beautiful halo effect around you guys. So they didn't get into that position right away. So I kept like rolling, waiting for them to get into that position. And then they sort of got into the position, but it wasn't quick enough. And I'm like, gosh, oh, I got here. And then I just saw them both getting really uncomfortable. I was like, I'm just going to let this roll. <laughs> just let this roll another little bit longer Let's see how awkward it gets for everybody.
0: I mean, no one else, I don't think, it's just because I know you all so well, that was time. No. I was like, oh, my God. Because even just the suggestion of just seeing those 2 people like, this isn't right. I know. This can't.
1: But I'm sure it's going to be, whenever we do a press junket for this thing, the the number one thing that people want to talk about. But the truth is when you make a movie, especially something that is as small as this, that has as much um, – such a high degree of difficulty, um, you want – People you can trust around you because you're making certain guarantees to your financier that you'll be able to execute and that it will be good, that you will come away with footage that you can cut into a movie and that footage is going to be compelling and you'll be able to sell it as, a, as a, a whole piece. And so to that end, I needed actors that I knew would know their lines and show up because we weren't going to get more than like one or two takes. We were really – the conditions where we were shooting, um, it, it all – it had to happen fast. And so that's what I did. I hired I hired people. I wrote parts for people that I knew could play the parts and then I hired those people to come in and make sure that I didn't look stupid.
0: Um, Macaulay Culkin is great. And yeah. it's like his that 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 guy, the guy that he plays. Yeah. I mean, I don't know him in real life, but he seems like a great guy. I love him. And uh, but talk about someone who fame, you know, I mean, we've had this conversation before. It's like, yeah, people write stuff about him and they just make it up. Just yeah. like not even remotely true, yeah. you know? And, and he doesn't
1: do a lot of effort to um, uh, correct them, you know? I think the, the biggest thing, he he, he uh, did the podcast for a minute, and I think that gave people a different kind of clarity, and he joins social media, which gives him at least a, a governing of, of his own voice, yeah. and so no one can infer his voice in the absence of his voice. He's able to put his own voice out there. Yeah. But casting him in this role, again, it was something I wrote for him, because I've known him for... Quite a while now, we got to make a movie together. So I'd I'd known him in the trenches, too. Um, And he – it's not that he doesn't want to work. He's just not going to pursue work. And so if opportunities come up, it's not like he'd say no if it's something he wants to do. Um, He's just not out doing auditions. Yeah. So I said, I've I've written something fun for you. I think it will be um, a character that you'd fucking crush. And I think that people would love to see you – in this, I think that people would love to see how charming and pretty and healthy you are. <laughs> and uh, and uh, also, I need this character. I need this character to pop, and it—you can pop it.
0: But what do you? I mean, to direct a movie. So many things have to go right. yeah, there's only so much you can control. and so when you kind of basically have to be that, but for an entire three-dimensional production where lighting, acting, music, camera shot, like everything has to go right yeah. um, what are you learning and how did you how did you see that process from the image that was in your head? Splat it onto a, a screen.
1: Well, the, the upside is I've had more than 30 years experience before I attempted something that uh, challenging. And I'd, I'd done, you know, over 40 movies myself and been on probably less than 100 film sets. But like right up there, I've been on tons of film sets and I've seen I've – been, I've been on tons of commercial sets and TV sets and I've seen how the process works. And I really understand – all of the technical things that go along with making any of this stuff and how important every detail is, every role, every, everybody that's carrying cable to you know what kind of brushes the makeup artist is using. like It's all kind of important. Um, and the thing that I've, I've learned the most that, that every, even as an actor, what you want from your director is someone with a point of view who is decisive but flexible. And so that's what I tried to do. I tried to put together a team. I had very strong producers – who I knew I could depend on that would cover certain things, and if anything went wrong in that, that area, they would bring it to my attention, we would solve it together. And then I was flexible enough to say, I want the best idea, even if it's not my idea. Yep. So yes, I know how to tell this story, because I know what it is that I'm trying to tell, but I'm open to the idea that there are other ways uh, to do it that maybe I haven't thought of. And also, when conditions present themselves, and we're just not going to be able to do it the way that we thought we were, I need to know if what's being suggested will solve the problem or create another problem um, and so that's that's really that's really it i The biggest thing that I learned, which was the most interesting and, and plus I had like fifteen years of making robot chicken, yeah um and in the first especially in the first five seasons, being a part of every single aspect of that production and understanding things that I had never considered before with respect to financing and post-production and all these mixing and coloring, like all these things I just hadn't done. But having done it over those years and also knowing that we've got a studio, a studio with post-production capability, visual effects capability, um, uh, you know, sound and like I knew what we could do at our shop and I knew the actual hard costs associated with it. So every time we're in a situation in Thailand where we're filming a horizon and there's a new boat that's not going to match in the back of this coverage every time, I'm able to crunch the numbers of, okay, well, that's two guys on a, a console working about 48 hours uh, and this is their day rate to remove oh these things gosh. from the horizon and so i would say to my dp it's like well yeah if we go down another inch then i can clean up this whole background and we don't have to worry about it and let's just shoot this direction because it won't matter what's back there
0: and what they actually put in the background instead of the boat is uh boba fett fighting a, a I mean, with a baby head there are there <laughs> are
1: dozens of easter eggs in the movie
0: i would i was gonna ask you about yeah. that yeah What's what is I'm one, not gonna
1: tell you anything about it. Not any
0: it. Easter eggs? No,
1: because that's this is this is this is so long before this movie was coming out. That's true. I don't want to tip my hand too much, but I will say, look, you know me,
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that sort of defeats the purpose of an Easter egg if someone tells you it's yeah. like you're not Easter egg hunting and they go, It's behind the bush. You have to fucking find it. You have to fucking find the egg for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Who was the I just assume he's a UFC guy. Who was the guy who plays the dude who's buying drinks for Oh, it's um, Randy Orton. So Randy
1: Orton, is See, a bel- he's, a- he's a belt holder for the WWE. He, um, he was fantastic. Great. So Randy and I met, because in 2009, I was the first Sorry, celebrity guest host of Monday Night Raw for the WWE. And I got to GM um, a bunch of matches. And I wound up in a six-man tag team with uh, John Cena and Triple H versus Randy Orton and The Legacy, which is uh, uh, the, the young DiBiase and uh, Cody Rhodes. And so Randy and I met that night and he was not sold on me like they were all a little standoffish about hollywood infiltrating and the, you know the wwe especially in 2009 just hadn't quite crossed over as well as they have in 2018 and so there was this presumption that it is uh, silly or not um, impressive or um, that whatever whatever the impression is out of hollywood and they were sensitive to that, so me coming in there was a little standoffish. But they saw that I was not just a fan of the the company and of those productions, but that I was willing to play at hundred percent, hundred percent. I came in there to to fucking win, right? <laughs> and so, Randy, because we were uh, opponents, um, he did. He was like really mad dogging me the entire time. And then we get in the ring and we like physically tussle, and he I take a bump a bump from him in the in the match, and it was a big deal. So. And then after that but, – but from working with everybody in that situation, I was like, man, I love these guys. I love this whole idea. This is such a great – what an incredible group of professionals. These, these are top-level athletes and performers in the same package. Like how cool is this? And the, and the truth is I needed that character, Martin, to look a certain way. Um, but I also needed him to have a certain presence, a certain gravitas. And I'd gotten to know Randy over a good amount of time. And I was like, man, this is, this is the kind of thing that you would just crush. You would just crush. And that was the best part about it. He was like, so what's the tone of this thing? Oh, this is just conversation, man. This is just you and I talking. So you don't need to project. You don't need to do anything. This is like
0: as real as can be. And he was – he really was. Like there was no – his performance was so just natural and likable well, and – I really, really, really thought he was – like. I, I was watching him going, oh, this guy could fucking work a ton. Yep. I, I mean I feel like an idiot for not knowing that he was Randy Orton. It's just adjacent. If you don't watch a ton of YouTube or if you
1: don't watch Twitch, you're not going to know who you know PewDiePie is or anybody who's got like 10 million followers daily. And you're like, why don't I know this I know, guy? I but it's he's just, probably like – he's literally one of the most famous people in wrestling. He's pretty well known. Yeah. He's pretty well-known. But mo- most of these guys, the, the, the general population doesn't know them until they cross over. So like Cena has been huge in WWE forever, but it wasn't until Trainwreck that people were like, oh, who's this Cena guy? But I the, have, the Rock is the same
0: way. But I have so much respect for what those guys do, even though I don't know who everyone is because it um, – the level of performance and audience engagement and like on-the-spot story creation yeah. and, and 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 just figuring out really quickly – how to tell these stories, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, simplifying them in a way but giving them some, like, depth and dimension and everyone kind of has their own point of view. I mean, it's – and they all have to work together to do it. And on top of that, they have to be the most physically fit titans in the world. And on top of that, like, not actually hurt each other at the same time. I mean, like, there's so many things that make it work that it's – and incredibly respect – and then they have to know yeah. how to improvise as well. Like it's it's, yeah. it's an incredibly respectful – Yeah.
1: Program. I've said over and over again that company is one of the most professional companies I've ever worked with. Like I'm consistently impressed by how well they do the variety of jobs that they do.
0: And so what does this – where, where's the film now? like you've shot it it's done what yeah. are you doing with it?
1: Well, we started showing it to distributors, and that's what I'm trying to figure out it It's really interesting just because I haven't explored this aspect of the business too much I, everything that i've that I've put out has been um with a destination already predetermined um and so you know distribution is changed is is changing in the last two years, let alone the last five, all these vendors, all of these streamers, they just didn't exist two years ago in the same way. Like we wouldn't have been talking about Hulu two years ago right. as a first-run distributor of, you know, high-value content. But but it's different now than it, than it ever was. And so I think about this movie, you know, because my goal for this movie is, it, this isn't the type of movie that competes with Infinity War. It's really, it's a very small movie. It's a It's a simple slice of life about friends figuring out a a problem um and so to that end i'm i'm hyper conscious about being realistic not just you know oh you want a huge sensation because you want your name in lights it's really how do i get this movie in front of an audience that's going to watch it i don't think it's for everybody but i do think that anybody who watches it would enjoy it yeah um and so it's that it's like a bunch of different distributors will, will put your movie out in theaters, okay? And so you guarantee like a week or two weeks of distribution, and you have to support that with um, an outside guarantee of marketing. So that's advertisements, whether it's uh, internet or in the newspaper or radio or television or posters, billboards, all that advertising costs money. And it's usually a secondary company that puts in that money in exchange for first dollar gross participation. And so whatever that money is that you're spending, somebody's spending that money. That's the first thing off the top of your returns. And so you want that money that's spent on advertising to be really valuable. You want it to, people have to know the movie exists and then they have to be able to see it in a way that's convenient for them. And I know me, I rarely go to the movies anymore. And I know that there's certain things that get me out into a theater but it's not a lot. Right. And when I ask friends and people in my life, it's the same. There are a handful of things that's gonna get somebody into a theater, but not a lot. There's plenty of things that you see and
0: you're like, oh that looks great. I will wait till it's in <laughs> my I will house. wait until I can watch it in my underwear. I'll wait till it's, it's in. My house. What are you what are you comfortable watching in your underwear and putting on pants for
1: well so i keep thinking about what my movie really is and and i've been calling it a cinematic vacation because i feel like it does what i love movies to do which is transport me to some place that i'm not in some place that i can really get immersed in for the duration of the film And share an experience that's completely outside of my personal purview that that may have um, themes or characters that I can really relate to. Like that's my favorite thing. So I keep thinking that there's probably a play, like a a week, a limited engagement in like a couple of cities. But I've really done the the math in my head and there's only a handful of cities – where people would go to a theater to see this movie. And that's nothing about the movie. That's just the shape of the marketplace. And so I keep thinking that there's a version of it where that whole marketing money gets spent on you know, uh, publicity and the actors doing press, but that the movie is released day and date in a limited run in theaters and on VOD at the same mm-hmm. time. I think that we're, that's, that's our best bet because that way if i do like trevor noah or jimmy kimmel and i'm like yeah you could see the movie tonight if you live in new york or los angeles or it's in your house right for (laughs) 3.99 i think that's gonna get a lot more click through for that same marketing spend than if i put all of my effort towards a theatrical run where you just can't guarantee anybody would leave their house to go see it in a theater and again nothing disparaging about the film it's just i know i know me and i I feel like that's the mood of the marketplace
0: well yeah and and the the, the types of movies that people leave their house for are like avengers or fast and furious like massive or even
1: even like get out something that is a directorial debut from a performer that is such a revelation in so many ways that that it, it becomes a cultural sensation. I don't think that's this movie. It really wasn't what I was aiming for. And I keep going back to that. Like, what was it that I was aiming for? I just had the story. I had this story I wanted to tell. I had this experience that I wanted to share. And that's my whole onus for making the film.
0: Do you think people are going to... There, there were a couple times in the movie where I, I almost thought, is it about to go genre? Like, is he going <laughs> to get bitten by a wolf? Or is there like a... Is he's going to drink a thing and he's going to turn into a lizard person. There's a there's... lot of Easter eggs in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what... And where's Robot Chicken at this point? Uh, we are writing our 10th season right Jesus now. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's hmm. mind-blowing. We just
1: finished the third season of Super Mansion. I think it's, it premieres later in the year. And um, we're making a, another animated show for Hulu called Crossing Swords. I think that's going to premiere in nineteen.
0: Do you feel like you have everything pretty much under control or do you always, do you, do you always feel – do you like to bring yourself to just slightly overwhelmed and that you operate well in that space?
1: Well, the upside of our, of our shop is I've got three partners um, who are all really hardworking and super creative and we all have the same goals as far as you know, staying in business and making stuff that we believe in. Um, and so all of these things don't need me to be um, involved in every aspect and every way. And I've tried to take a cue from somebody like Seth MacFarlane, who has gotten very good at delegating responsibility and you know um, empowering all of his admirals and generals to do their best work on behalf of a show that he doesn't have to um, uh, oversee every detail of. And it's not, it's not productive for me to... Um, you know hold people back because they need to do it my way that that's you're not really building a strong team like that um so so I'm trying to um you know I'm not giving up any of the things that I'm producing and I'm and I'm certainly not going to stop doing that work or participating but I am also trying to um, refocus a little on performing uh, just cuz I miss I miss acting all the time
0: yeah it's hard when you start I know that, but the the, the 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 sentence I'm about to say is really dumb but when you start getting a lot of opportunities it's hard to because you want to take all those opportunities yeah. because you worked hard for them and you feel like oh well I should do this and I should do that and I you know it would be you know my ungrateful for not taking these but then at a certain point you really do have to stop and go wait is this Am all of a sudden Am I in a managerial position Is this the right thing for me yep. Do I'm actually passionate About this anymore I've, I've gone down this path And you've sort of Unconsciously made a lot of choices That you didn't realize Were choices And you and, and you really do have to evolve And sort of See where you're at And make sure that You're still Like the path that you're on Is still Your path Your path Yeah And not like Oh I kind of got swept away Because I just thought You know This path had money Or this How path How did I had become this, an A&R guy, guy? Yeah. <laughs>
1: when i was working so hard to play guitar. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And so it is kind of a hard thing to keep keep mindful
1: of. I think that's just, you know, meaningful honest self-reflection. And because i've been at this so long, i have noticed that at several different points in my career, i've had to sort of redefine what it was that i was doing and then make a conscious effort to demonstrate that so that people could see that clearly and weren't misinformed about my intention yeah
0: Yeah. and so with robot chicken in the 10th season um that pretty much i would i mean you guys have that down
1: at this point well we're still trying really hard (laughs) (laughs) like we were just working on a holiday special this morning and um you you know we pitched like 50 ideas for it it just wasn't quite gelling and so we're just all sitting there together trying to talk about how to make it something significant and what we've done before and what we want to do. And we're still trying very hard to um, take advantage of this thing that
0: we've got and make it something new and interesting all the time. When you finish a season of that show, are you like, I'm done. I got no more jokes. I mean, just because like the number of jokes per episode.
1: I definitely feel at the end of a season, like I've completed some kind of marathon. It's usually an entire year or 14 months end to end from the time we start writing to the time we deliver final post on our 20th episode. And it's, it's a, it's a volume of work and it's a tremendous amount of concentration. And the only way that I've survived is to continue to hand off responsibilities to other people that are really great at the job. And then, trust them to do a good job and empower them
0: to do their best work. on Boy, That show started at the right time. Cause yeah, it just right? like you caught the wave of when people were still watching television. And so you kind of got grandfathered in cause now people are like hardcore fans of it. No. I feel like if robot chicken started now, it would be a little bit more of an uphill climb of like, how do we compete with, with everything that's being made right now there was
1: also this in just again it was a very fortunate coincidence where we were making something that was sort of add television at a time when people were just starting to share bite-sized content via, via the internet and so we got a lot of eyeballs directed at us because people were segmenting out uh channel flips or individual sketches and sending them to each other without even telling them that it was robot chicken Oh, so wow. people just started seeing and sharing little comedic bits without even knowing that they were all talking about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, what? This next when's the next season premiere?
1: Uh, let's see. We'll start physically filming in February, and so it'll probably be like end of summer. We'll probably we'll probably premiere some stuff at San Diego next year.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and then before that, are you guys traveling anywhere? Um, are you taking a? Are you? Are you taking some time off? I'm not taking. <laughs> I'm not
1: taking time off. Um, he says,
0: as he averts his eyes?"
1: Well, I want to, you know, I want to make a plan to distribute the movie, and then there'll be a, a press push um, around it. I'm, I'm hoping that that's like towards the beginning of the year, like March or April, would would seem like the smartest time for this movie to come out when people could receive it without there being so much noise or clutter. Um, and I want to – I'm writing something. Um, I don't know if I want to direct it right now. I'm sort of planning on directing it just because that's the shortest cut to getting it done the way I want to do it. But there's also a part that I want to play in it. And I'm a little hesitant to direct something of this scope and play a part in it just because it splits my focus so hard.
0: I mean it's so – just thinking about how – you think about a career and – you know, it's like make this movie, get it out, get it done, get it out, do the press, move on to the next thing. Yeah. It's like there's no there's almost That's like it. no math. There's almost like no goal other than just to keep making yeah. stuff. But and, I grew
1: up loving guys like George Burns and Bob Hope and Hume Cronin who literally worked their entire life. And yeah. it isn't about um, an end goal. There isn't. It's that quote from parenthood. It's like you never oh, get Oh, it's
0: one of my favorite quotes. You never cross the ball yeah, and do Jason the touchdown Robins.
1: dance. You just you keep going. It's the journey. And that's it everybody, everybody says that, but it really is the truth. It's all these things I get to do along the way. It, it, there is no goal. It's not like oh if I won an Oscar, I would I would quit or I really I I feel so lucky. <laughs> I really do. I just feel so fucking lucky that I have been able to spend my life doing this. And I try to always be um, you know, deserving of it is kind of the wrong framework. But but more, um, I try to never be begrudging of my opportunities. And I always try and um, reprove why I'm supposed to be here. Yeah.
0: yeah. And do you have to constantly check in on yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In other words, to not take things for granted, to yeah. not – to go like, oh, wait a minute. I think maybe I'm – Hmm, That might be the ego. I don't
1: know. Yeah, when you're sitting at home, like, wrapped in a blanket, crying uncontrollably, like, why why don't I just have this? Why can't I? Nobody And then I can't. I don't even know that I'm just not funny anymore. I can't even, like, I can't memorize these lies. Who am I? You
0: know what's great about what you just said? And I want people to really, really, really listen to this. It's like having a rewarding life or a, a successful life or accomplishing things. Doesn't mean that those moments will go away. You have to understand that people that you look up to or people that make the things that you idolize or George Burns, you know, I'm sure George Burns had moments like that too. That it's not, your life isn't gonna be free of stress or free of self doubt or free of insecurity you just know those are going to happen but then it's what do you do after that what yeah. do you do with that and it's just figuring out how to power through figuring out how to make opportunities out of obstacles uh, 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 yeah opportunities out of obstacles um and so it it th- that's really important for people to hear because i think some people just think like oh i'm supposed to I'm going to achieve this thing, and then I'll never feel and I'll never yeah. feel that again. It's like no, no, no. You will You'll still have worse those things,
1: <laughs> yeah, because of the pressure. Yeah. Well, then now you've achieved something that you're afraid to lose. Yes. Or you 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 exist long enough that you see some younger you coming up behind you who's just
0: killing it. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? But for me, I always – whenever whenever I see some someone who's younger, or hungrier. My instinct is not, oh, I've got to crush that guy. My instinct is like, oh, maybe they want to make something together.
0: Right. (laughs) Or maybe they'll inspire you to innovate in a way that you hadn't thought of before. Yeah. I don't
1: know. I see this whole industry as a community and you can either take advantage of the friendships that you've got and collaborate with people who you think are awesome and be as awesome as you can be so that they're willing to collaborate with you. But there is no moment where all of your fear or doubt like every one of us is plagued with just that constant nagging that you're no good, that you shouldn't be here, that you've blown it out and whatever you achieved was just some series of fortunate events and you don't have it anymore but you know that's that's between you and yourself Like <laughs> it really is, it comes down to your own drive, your own ability to What's that? What's that? Feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Or I never feel like totally comfortable right before I step on stage. But when I'm on stage and I've done my work, I've done my prep. I've I'm I'm not just like going out there and expecting myself to be like magic. I I have to have prepared. I have to have stretched or whatever it is, whatever it is. You know. Yeah. You get, when I get out there, that's when I feel the. That's when I feel the best.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it you know the the scary thing is well, what do you do if you're not excited by anything you know no. but there's just so much now i just feel like there's just a there's just so much that you can do in so many different ways to make art and so many different ways to create i
1: wonder if that's cuz i meet a lot of young younger people now and they are overwhelmed by the limitless possibilities i find them like like almost um frozen you know, because there's they. It's like being. It's like that scene in uh, Moscow on the Hudson where he goes to the supermarket and he.
0: Boy, another Moscow on the Hudson reference. Well, because it's uh, it's such a good thing. <laughs> no, this, this is guy, a great movie. Ron
1: Williams plays a character from Russia he's where from he's Russia, been yeah. standing in line for you know a piece of toilet paper, and then he comes to the U.S. and he's in the supermarket aisle, and there's like five thousand kinds of coffee, he
0: and doesn't he doesn't know what to get. He has a fucking panic attack
1: in the middle <laughs> of the supermarket because he's like, I don't know, what we'll, is we'll, we'll this like coffee? I, so I think that young kids, there's a little bit of that.
0: Well, yeah, because our psychologically, humans want choice, but they don't want too much choice. Right. Because too many choices creates anxiety of like diminishing returns or like what if I make the wrong choice? It's the same reason why – you can go on to Netflix and just go, I don't, I don't know, and oh, then you man. watch previews and go, I don't know anymore, <laughs> and then you just end up going to bed. You didn't actually watch anything. Or think about the fact that you can go to Google.com or whatever your search engine is, is of choice and literally learn anything about history, anything about <laughs> anything that's ever been thought of yeah. or recorded, you can learn about it, which means – Think about the power of that. Yeah. And you just go to Google and just stare at it and go, I don't know. I don't know. It's just too much. It's too much choice for one person to have. It is. But when
1: I was younger and all of this technology wasn't available, I still found ways to make stuff because that's what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And so I really try and look at all this stuff as just tools for making stuff. So – I always say to, to people that are like, what do I make? I'm like, you're the only one that can answer that. You have to find something that you love, some story you want to tell, some thing you need to help make exist, and then the tools, the infinite tools are all around you.
0: I also think a, and, and, an amendment to the Jason Robard speech in Parenthood about you never cross the, you never cross the goal line, you never spike the ball. I also do believe... That we can have romanticized this idea that we're going to have some like Edison style inspiration that's just going to strike us and go, Oh my God, now I got to make. When really, creation and innovation, I think, is not as romantic as that. It's like you just make stuff, and someone goes, Well, what do I make? Draw some right side. Don't even think about it, just start doing it. And then it'll start to take shape or you'll be able to make it and then afterwards look at it and go, oh, I didn't want that. But actually it inspires this other idea. Like, <laughs> but like waiting for that lightning strike is also, I think, kind of a false – I mean that can happen yeah. that way.
1: But pressurizing your own creation, believing that everything you make needs to be perfect lest it's you know, nothing more than a stepping stone instead of just accepting that it's totally OK to make things – that nobody sees or nobody <laughs> likes, and just have that be a step closer to making something that, that you love, you know? Yeah. But you gotta fuck up plenty of times before you even know what fucking up feels like. Embrace the suck. Yeah. Nobody starts uh, shooting three pointers without practicing three pointers over and over again. So the point that you get into a game and you're like, oh, yeah, this is the point. Oh, I'm standing right in the place. I should hit this three pointer. And you're not always gonna do it. But like do practice, try things, make mistakes just to get the sense memory.
0: Well, yeah, because some of the best things come from mistakes. You yeah. Know, like our accidents or fuck-ups or... Yeah, I tell
1: the story of Robot Chicken all the time because it was not our intent to make a series that ran for 15 years. That's really <laughs> not <laughs> at all what we were doing. I had friends and we liked... Toys and I liked stop motion, and I was gonna make like a two minute sketch to bring on Conan just to have made something. And we fell sort of ass first into making a series for a network that was barely a network at the time, and we all grew together. But you know, in retrospect, it looks like, oh wow, you guys were so savvy or the timing, but it really was just like a series of coincidences and us having fun together. And then I feel like the audience sees our fun and that's what they
0: want to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I mean, when Matt and Trey made spirit of Christmas, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they didn't go like, this is going to be one of the long." This is going to turn into one of the longest running shows in the history of television. I'm
1: glad you bring them up though. There's that documentary that I think everybody should watch. There's six days to air documentary, which shows how fast, they make that show, how quickly they go with an idea and just run with it. So you see them bantering, beating out a story, and that exact dialogue that they came up with in the room is the dialogue in the show. And when you watch the show, you think, oh, they must have spent weeks refining this and editing and getting it, and then you're like, no, they just ran with it, yeah, and it's, it works. That
0: show is as close to live animation <laughs> as, yeah. as there is in terms of, and 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 they've really found this pocket of being able to comment on the of like the zeitgeist like yeah. week to week if they wanted to and still and still make it work. Yeah,
1: I'm always impressed by those guys. And then them running out and making uh, book of Mormon like it's yeah. just
0: it's a cool or stick of truth. Yeah, it's
1: just a cool yeah, right. <laughs> uh you know, it just it's it's good um it's good advice. Like, just keep making stuff. Yeah, just keep trying.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And don't make it all precious. No, don't make it precious. That's the thing. Is the, but, but but precious is that's kind of where our ego is. You know, like our ego is precious. Yeah,
1: and I'm that- anticipating a high volume of negative comments about this movie which is why i'm terrified to show it to anybody because it is uh, it's 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 deeply personal in that i made it <laughs> right so if you don't like it there's... you have to bear all the responsibility for well it. yeah because there was at the end of the day all of the key decisions related to it I had to make. And so if
0: you don't like any of those choices, I'll have to say, sorry, that was, that was on me. <laughs> yeah. And, and the more personal your thing is when people reject it, what you really feel like is, oh, they're just saying they don't like you.
1: Yeah. Well, it's not autobiographical. Thank God. Um, so... But there is a lot of me in this movie. It was all music I loved, or my POV, or that's
0: what I mean. Like it's uh, so emotional, expressions. It's deeply personal, even though it's not your story.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very
0: it's very personal.
1: You know, but I have spent my entire career sort of opening myself up to be shit on, and
0: (laughs) I think that's something
1: that performers just have to be comfortable with. Is that you know sometimes you may get a standing ovation, and other times you might get a rotten tomato hitting you square in the forehead
0: yeah yeah and, but as long as you know that that's the deal, yeah that does help, right, yeah totally. you might be able to dodge because they' because there <laughs> they're there definitely there are definitely those comments that people can make where you go, they have a valid point, that was a fair criticism, yeah, and then there are other comments where you go they're going through something that's yeah. maybe a little bit about them just because of the way that it's expressed, so as long as you can separate haters,
1: haters gotta hate
0: so as long as you can separate. <laughs> They got to hate, hate, hate. Well, there's also this, this very strange
1: reality, too. We used to just be far more separated from the public. And people felt a lot less entitled to just scream, hurling insults at you, you know? Um, and with the rise of the Internet, people feel an access to you. And so they're able to express their own power by saying something shitty, by, like, hurting your feelings in real life. Someone that they don't know, someone who they might respect or admire or even enjoy their work and in this moment something in their life has made them seek pleasure out of hurting someone else. You right. know what I mean? And it's not even that they didn't like your thing. They're just like mad <laughs> of make you it,
0: make you feel bad for a minute. I think the year was nineteen ninety four. I had an AOL account, as <laughs> a lot of people did. Sure. And um uh, I went into a, I went into a chat. This, I'm so embarrassed that I did this, but you know I was young, um, and it's right when single that was just starting to take off, and people were talking about MTV, and then they were. T- uh, it was an MTV chat room. And uh, <laughs> do you see where this is going? I do, and I have a similar story. <laughs> oh thank god! Oh my god! You are And of course, you know, 22 or 23 year old me goes, "Yeah, but what do you think about that Chris Hardwick guy?" And it's just like bring, bring, tool, fucking dork yeah. fucking idiot piece of shit yeah. stupid I'm like, oh, what? oh God not one what? Pause. <laughs> what? you know, and then and that was sort of my first lesson of like if you go seeking for ego treasures yeah. then you will fall into ego traps I got a similar lesson which was
1: if you believe any of the positive praise that anyone has to say about you online then you <laughs> You have to take all of the negative comments with the same weight and gravity. Um, When Buffy was on the air, uh, the message board concept had just begun. And so there were a handful of people on a a message board community. And I went on to it just because I had never been on a show where I played a guy that got to kiss the girl. Like all of my roles were, well, I guess I'd done airborne. But um, for the most part, I played like the dorky, nerdy weirdo creeper mm-hmm. some version of that and so in this uh, show i was playing like a guy with a guitar who was kind of cool and i had had um y- you know female peers of mine suddenly find me appealing and that was a brand new experience so i went on the message boards for just a little bit of that gratification and i got nothing positive <laughs> just nothing good <laughs> all like highly personal observations about my physicality oh, or just no. just things that you have no control over or just like really uh, critical of my performance or what the fuck is he even doing here kind of there's yeah, a lot it's,
0: it's the equivalent of it's, <laughs> a, it's the equivalent of going to the zoo and going you know what i should do i should hop in that pen and pet hmm. those lions let's see what's up i'm gonna <laughs> run at that line and show him who's boss. it's <laughs> like why why did i do this <laughs> <laughs> uh, lesson learned. Yeah. But still, you know, even after all this time, we still have to, you know, like those parts of our personality, the, the, the ego parts and the need for acceptance and the, the sort of need for significance, you know. And I just feel like the older we get, the more it's like, OK, do, you know, are we placing are we placing our eggs in the right emotional basket? So mm. do, like, should we fi- should we instead find significance in places like you know are we like how's our family life like how's my how's our you know is my mom okay okay she's all right my wife loves me this is like maybe these are the places like rather than what do random what are random people going to say about me
1: well you know it's tough because we're performers and so
0: it's kind of baked into it you want the audience's
1: approval or you at least want to know that the audience doesn't feel like they wasted their time and money by seeing you (laughs) um and so the, there's a natural inclination to need a, a total saturation of success. Like you need everybody in that crowd to like what you do. And did.
0: even if you had it, yeah, the weird performer curse is that you would still find a way to be dissatisfied by sure. it in some way or have it and then immediately go like, oh my God, it's going to go away. There's that dark thing where if you haven't.
1: Given a hundred percent, or if you were just a little bit off and the audience still applauds, then you can bear a resentment towards the audience for not knowing the difference between <laughs> you at ninety and they don't know 100%. anything they were
0: terrible no, I, I, come was, on. I, I was terrible
1: the way, the they, they can't possibly know how terrible I was tonight.
0: Oh, a really good job tonight, yeah oh, fuck right. you <laughs> what do you know <laughs> <laughs> You mouth breather! You wouldn't recognize, you wouldn't recognize anything good if it shat in your eyes. You
1: sophisticated, prominent theater owner who spent a, a solid amount of money How on this before. How dare you contribute to my success and livelihood?
0: I wouldn't hire me. Why would you? This is bullshit. Uh, you have no taste. But then I do think the other side of that is that you can have those moments where you you do everything you set out to do and the crowd might be tepid about it and you go, you know what? I guess this was just a bad match. Like, yeah. I'm not, I did everything I felt like I was supposed to do. Like, you can still feel like, as long as you feel like you gave it your best. What are you laughing at? I'm laughing
1: because I just remembered a Tenacious D lyric. Uh, he says, uh, uh, sometimes you listen to your heart. Sometimes your heart cuts a fart. <laughs> That's the cosmic shame. And it it really feels like that way. You know, sometimes, sometimes your heart just cuts a fart. Nobody nobody wants to smell that shit. <laughs> they don't want to smell your heart farts. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like the Neil Diamond song that didn't make it on the the ET record.
0: Turn on your heart lights
1: <laughs> and your heart farts wherever they go. <laughs> Let it fart a happy glow. Roll. Hey that really smells. Let's get out of here, guys. <laughs> Neil, we got to finish this song.
0: It's good. No, I hard farted up this booth. <laughs> this song was a hard fart. Don't you see? It's a parable. Cut the tape. We're going to burn it. <laughs> it's an example of itself. Don't you understand? Yeah. It's so funny. That, like your, your reference <laughs> bank and my reference bank are like right on top of each other because there was something else where you had a, re- a reference to Three O'Clock High, which I think is one of the uh, best films I love that movie. of the 80s yeah. that a lot of people still don't know
1: about. Well, it was a particular time, and it didn't play on a lot of cable, uh, so a lot of people. It just sort of—if you don't know it, you don't know it. But it's a lot of amazing things. Um, I really love that movie. Did you see Fist Fight? By the way, the Ice Cube, uh, Charlie Day movie. Oh no, I didn't see it. Was it good? It's it is same good. kind of thing. It is good. It's a it's a similar play. It's a it's very it's uh, like they handle a lot of things very well, and it's definitely not toned. The same, because Three O'Clock High is, is like an art film.
0: It is, and it, and it the thing that, uh, w- when you see like all the like whip pans and stuff in the ni- like all that yeah. stuff that became very popular in the 90s, I feel like it, uh, there were a lot of things that were derivative of that movie that it yes. doesn't necessarily get yeah. credit for. Well,
1: Three O'Clock High owes a lot to Raising Arizona and the way that it was shot.
0: Uh, and, and, style, and, style and, and maybe it. a little Ferris Bueller. Um, but it, it, but that, but you're absolutely right with, the with Raising Arizona, just the, the, that kind of the, the journey that the director takes you on rather than just kind of like setting stuff out for you to decide. They're like, we're going to steer and you're going to, you're going to like it. Yeah. And it fucking, and when it works, it just,
1: it works so, so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that movie. I, uh, I'm I'm not surprised more people haven't seen it, but it's, it's definitely something worth seeing.
0: What what other is there anything else from the is there any other nostalgic thing that you feel like you kind of is sort of still like a like a kept secret that you feel like a lot of, not a lot of people know about?
1: Um, oh I don't know I didn't uh, I don't know my influences are all over the place I think that's why I like Stanley so much because he talked about. Just because you write about superheroes, you should be well-rounded. Like he, he drew from every area of art and culture to create well-rounded characters. To, to have an honesty, um, even though his subjects were, you know, su- supernatural. Um, I try to, I try to learn from all areas, and I find that to to be the most inspiring, regardless of the kind of work I want to make. When was the last time you saw him? But I saw Stan. Um, Shit, it was probably like a month or so before he died, I guess. Oh, man. Yeah. How lucky. I feel so lucky to have loved him as long as I did and to get to meet him as many times as I did. and To get to do the kind of shit we got to do with him. Like, that's so rare.
0: Yeah. I I mean, it's remarkable that, you know, he even just did so much between – I mean, you think about like – between eighty and ninety-five, yeah, he hit a stride. You know, like that's
1: yeah. Don't you remember when Tobey to- to- to McGuire Spider-Man came out? It was such a big deal, and I, I read about that uh, the series of checks that he got. He got like eighty million dollars for those movies because it was such a big, such a big push. And he, the way his contract worked, he made a ton of money from it. And I remember thinking, man, that guy, like, what a what a twilight of your career. I would have never assumed that he would spend the next fifteen. 18 years like just being twice as awesome yeah and i always look at the fact that all of the characters he's best known for he created in his 40s
0: those are the kind of things that are refreshing to hear yeah when you start you think it's like a ticking clock
1: you're like oh my god i have i'm comparing myself to everybody else who's done this by this age if i haven't done this by this age i must just not be Doing it, but the truth is your your path is your path.
0: You know? Yeah, like to like to the fact that uh, Dan Aykroyd was like thirty-four when Ghostbusters came out. That hurts. It's crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Might have been maybe even younger than that, but they were they were in their early to mid-thirties yeah. when Ghostbusters came out. But you know nothing against
1: Dan Aykroyd, but I'm sure he in present day. Is un, isn't as satisfied. You know what I mean? He might be. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I got to imagine if you've had that kind of success at a young age, then you're always sort of chasing that, some version of
0: that high. But you've always managed to maintain a level of success. And I've
1: never been what I like to call catastrophically famous. I've
0: never but had But you wouldn't want that. Know.
1: I don't think that works for me. I think, I think part of why I've been able to continue to work is that people still find me relatable. Um, And even though I've gotten to be in movies, I still can speak for the audience. I think that's why I worked so well in WWE, because I'm not one of these hulking superstars. And so the people in the audience can relate to that. Like, that's what they would feel like if they were in the ring. So then if they see me get over in the
0: ring, then it's like a success for all of us. Right? Or they they would say like, I would say cha-ching. That's me. (laughs) I would say that. That's ridiculous. I'm that g- <laughs> <laughs> there's gotta be something about that. I don't know. It's just like
1: it's such a weird subculture thing. The whole thing.
0: Just as a joke, you should just make a short film about whatever happened to that guy mm. and just have it be some weird dramatic tale. Did you ever see what
1: Mac did the um it was like it was uh, uh, a guy named Jack Dishel did a series of uh, like Lyft driver videos and one of them was Mac as a Lyft driver. No. And it was um, I think it's called Drivers uh, with a Y and it's it it played a lot like two Christmases ago and the the implication is that this is Kevin from Home Alone (laughs) had he grown up and he's like really fucking traumatized about his parents leaving him alone and these two burglars (laughs) that tried to break into his house and he had to like fight them off. And they followed him to New York. They tried to hurt him and he's like really fucking traumatized by it. Um I thought that was a, a very that that that's all it reminds me of. Is like if I did some where's the cha guy now. <laughs> it would have to take as dark a turn as that.
0: well of course I would have to take a dark turn. Yeah. Because there's no that was nineteen ninety two, that would have been twenty six years ago. <laughs> yeah, like that guy that guy had a journey.
1: You know what's funny is my hair for the first time in 20 years is as long as it was in that commercial.
0: Oh, I, I, your hair wasn't like down to down, like way longer than that?
1: In uh, X-Files, it's like past my shoulders. But in Airborne, it's like right around my chin. And in the Cha-Ching commercials, it's mostly bangs. <laughs> 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 it's Like early 90s. I was still into skateboarding. Do you do any of that still? skateboarding yeah i mean i can still like ollie a curb but i quit i i got my driver's permit the year people started kick flipping mm-hmm. and
0: so i missed an entire evolution of skateboarding i feel like now would be one of those things where you go like it'd be really fun to do this oh but i just pulled the thing and now i'm out for eight weeks
1: yeah i'm not gonna be the guy who tries to impress my kid by being marty mcfly on a skateboard and like Break my back while I'm doing it.
0: I just don't want to be that guy. My challenge with a kid, you know, because we're we're talking about it now, and my challenge with a kid is to not be like, "Don't sit there. Look out. Oh, be afraid of that. Be terrified of that thing. Don't yeah. do that. Don't put your finger in there. I had Stop, um, don't don't eat that.
1: I had a uh, Dax came over to my house at one point with his daughter, and uh, they were hanging out in the pool. And you know, it's a lot of rocks around our backyard, and so I'm really nervous about. Lawsuits, And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, oh, should we watch her on these steps? And he was like, nah, she's going to make her own mistakes. And I, and I looked at him like, oh, that's pretty terrifying. He was like, how much did you like your parents holding your hand? Right. And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. I became independent and I became tough and I learned a lot of basic lessons by fucking up and getting hurt. And if you deny a child that kind of education, then you're really stifling their own
0: preparedness. That's a great point. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I was really impressed by the way they're raising those And kids. also, very parallel to what we were talking about before, about like <clears> – <throat> You have to sort of just go through stuff and make mistakes and fall down and, you you know, fall
1: down on the rocks in the corner of a pool. I mean, you got to govern your kids, obviously, and like teach them boundaries and you can't just give them awards for showing up or else they're going to grow up really entitled with a lot of expectation. But and I I think about this a lot because I grew up out here around a lot of like kids of rich or famous people. And I saw all sides of it, like the secret after school stuff or like, you know, the the proms and whatnot. And just it's different now than it was 20 years ago. The the, the things that kids are exposed to at a young age, it's – so I'm terrified of that, of like introducing a kid into this environment or setting them up for failure just by having them be my kid. Yeah. You know, but you you can't. You'll, you, I can't do that or else I'll, I'll deny them the – the basic opportunity to become themselves. Yeah. If I'm like too up their ass about how I would do it, then I'll never get to know how they would do it.
0: That's the message, don't deny yourself the the opportunity to become yourself. Yeah. Allow yourself to just start things, make mistakes, learn from them, get better and embrace the process. Yeah, if
1: my parents had restricted me the way I'm inclined to restrict a kid,
0: <laughs> I would never be who I am. I, I wonder if some of that has to do with also like maybe being a potentially old, like a lot older of a parent. If you're mm. like 20 and you have a kid, you're still barely not a kid. So you're like, I don't know. They'll be fine. Yeah. But then when you're older, you're like so many things can go wrong. Maybe. I do like
1: – I do like that um, I'm older than my folks were just because I feel like I'm more together.
0: Yeah. Oh, 100%. I feel
1: like I'm more calm. I feel like I'm – i'm more comfortable with myself um i feel like i've learned a lot of things over a distance so i've really gotten to see how things that i would think are so terrifying play out Mm -hmm. over a term and i think that's that that's good i'm glad i didn't have a kid uh earlier because i i think i would be nowhere near as well prepared
0: so lastly what are you excited about like, what thing in general? Is there anything particularly that you're that excites you in the world? Anything in the world? Yeah, I'm excited by a lot. I feel
1: like we're in a golden age of content, even though it's almost impossible to watch it all. I feel like if you have an idea um, and y- you're willing to do the work that you can make almost anything right now. And I that's very exciting to me. So, um, you know, I'm trying to... Do my part, find fun people to collaborate with, and I'm and I'm less urgent about uh, proving myself than I am interested in participating. And so, like even with this thing that I'm that I'm that I'm writing, um, I'm writing with someone that I I'm not um, I don't know I'm not trying to prove myself. Like with Changeland, even it's not like look at me I'm a director. It's more I wanted to tell the story and it was a matter of course for me to direct it because no one else would be able to execute this as inexpensively as I was able to. And no one would know the shorthand of the things that I was trying to express right. uh, B-
0: better than me so i was the, the right choice for it i hope people get the opportunity to see it soon it's such a beautiful story and it's such a simple story and it's so and it's just so well done and everyone thanks. and it's great oh thanks man And I, I, re- I saw so many you know saw matt cohen in there like i yeah. just see so many people <laughs> yeah, like oh that's awesome that they that they popped up in the thing there are so many i threw
1: people in everywhere like every scene um like our financier, one one of our uh, the guys from the hedge fund is in uh, a scene, and like a Patrick Stump who did our music is in the scene, is in a scene. Like everybody's in the movie.
0: And I'm telling you, I said that I texted you this when I saw it. But the guy who plays Suchin needs a sitcom. Oh yeah, that
1: guy's uh, Kenneth Wan. He is was that great. Guy. He was a, a local hire, and I really, I really love him
0: in the movie. Uh, and again, you know, I just I'm so I think. We first met in like 1994 or something, like 93, 94. And, uh, you know, I'm just – I'm so appreciative that we're still friends and I'm so appreciative that we've become really close friends over the years. Me too, man. I mean I adore you and I fucking love Claire and I just think you guys are so great and just inspiring. And it's it's great to – have friends in your, you know, to have a friend group that you respect and are also inspired by and drive you to be better and more creative. So I, I really appreciate that.
1: It's, it's mutual, man. You've always been a, um, a consistent and uh, uh, inspiring person. Your willingness to never quit and your um, insistence on always evolving and learning, um, like that's so admirable. I appreciate that yeah man
0: well congratulations on everything Seth Green you've been on the podcast again yeah see you again in six years you gotta come on <laughs> gotta come on sooner than. I'll probably see you this weekend right. <laughs> probably, probably see this. we don't have to podcast
1: everything we're gonna podcast every yeah. interaction that we what have. what if we thinking. did we're just like Madonna and Warren Beatty
0: like. oh yeah people would just <laughs> traveled nowhere what without, a reference. without
1: a camera crew.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's that scene in Truth or Dare yeah. where he's just so fucking over all of it. Why well, would you do anything if it's not on camera? Like, it's so, like, that was such a window into their... That was a moment, though. Yeah. That was a moment when the concept
1: of reality TV was being born right in front of us.
0: It was, just bo- it was just so beautifully shot. Yeah. But just that he was just over it. Totally different generation.
1: He's like, you know, the audience is only supposed to see what we show them, they're not supposed to see yeah. the gossip or the behind the scenes. That's
0: well, you know, if you don't want that, don't date Madonna, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's like, you made the choice to <laughs> right. date Madonna. But like, you maybe you'd have to know. he was making know.
1: Dick Tracy, who was like, who's this Madonna character? And <laughs> he just thought, hey, let's go out a couple times. And then before he knew it, he's backstage at Madison Square Garden with a fucking camera crew.
0: <laughs> not knowing how to just be himself. I don't want any of this. What the fuck?
1: Yeah, sunglasses inside and just like fist in his jaw like I'm so mad about it <laughs> this is great we were on the wrap up and I wanted to manage to throw in a last reference
0: uh, there was a great you know like landing on a Dick Tra- like sticking the landing on a Dick Tracy reference <laughs> and a Truth or Dare reference yeah. with Warren Beatty yeah I think is that I don't think like that should be that should be a new meme of just him back there like when people try to get too much attention yeah. on social media just that him like you said with just that with his hand in his face just like why do anything if it's not on camera?
1: That's a great meme. We should make that. We like, should the make second.
0: This is. Over. We should make that happen whenever someone <laughs> just like clearly like makes a thing where it's like, oh, just you don't need to, you know, yeah. just cut to, to that sourpuss shot of him in yeah. the background. We'll find that frame. All right, we're gonna meme it. Well, thanks for listening, kids. Thanks, kids. Okay, time to go to bed. <laughs> or don't. You are not here to yeah, direct you your want. experience. Yeah. Like I'm that. not trying to inform your, your life. <laughs> the funny thing is like could we vamp for another hour of just easily like, I mean <laughs> I would I would not quit this <laughs> all right I guess we better still okay him. yeah thanks guys all right. yeah. And bye, bye now. <laughs> no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, I'm just listening for you to I hang love up. you more. I love you more. I love you the most. You don't love me the way I love you. Oh my God, this got really serious. Yes. I'm coming over. Oh my, you're, I'm already here. I'm actually calling you from the driveway. <gasps> Chris, <laughs> what? Chris, I'm here. But I, you, why are I'm you? I'm outside. <laughs> What are you doing in my driveway again? I told you, I'm just waiting for you to answer the door. What am I supposed to do when I answer We've the door? We've got to come up with a better ending to this podcast. I told you, there's no way. We've exhausted every angle. Let me, you let me in now. <sighs> if I let you in, can we end the podcast? <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, I'm going to open the door. Okay.
1: Thank you for letting me in. I just wanted to podcast for a couple hours more. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I just said this wouldn't happen. Uh, I, I, I admit I misled you.
0: But it was all for entertainment purposes. I'm gonna bite the cyanide pill that's disguised as a tooth, just like in Dune. I've already done it. And dead. Best way to end a sketch. You don't get out of. We both die. (laughs) Seth's Seth's pointing to himself that he's
1: (laughs) the cyanide pill. (laughs) I gotta commit commit to this bit.
0: (laughs) He was trying to get credit for. To the fan, and
1: you guys It's a reasonable end.
0: <laughs> you know they can't see what yeah.
1: It's the magic of radio. <laughs> it's the magic of permanently curated audio content.
0: <laughs> <coughs> oh, Jesus Christ, I'm hitting stop